This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today I am delighted to welcome Stephen Roberts. That's you! To the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Are you ready for my thesis statement? I am. Okay. <laughs> you, say, you sound a little scared, which is funny because my thesis statement begins, Stephen Roberts is fearless. At least, that's the conclusion I've come to after watching him in a trio of searing feature films, 2019's And God I Trust, 2020's Beyond the Woods, and 2021's River Road. In the first, he's Tyler, a white supremacist with a hair-trigger temper and major issues with his law enforcement officer dad. In the second, he's Andrew Bennett, a suspect in the murder of his wife and the disappearance of her brother. In the last, he's Fresno, a take-no-prisoners drug dealer who laughs when he's staring down the barrel of a gun. These are difficult men, often unlikable. But where I fought the men, I marvel at Stephen. He seems unafraid to inhabit these complicated, sometimes unlikable, damaged, perplexing characters, and the projects are better for it. I'm not alone in marveling at Steven's work. He was nominated for Leo Awards for all three of those roles, and this year he won Best Supporting Performance by a Male in a Motion Picture for Fresno in River Road. In 2019, he won the UBCP Actor Award for Best Emerging Performer for In God I Trust, and you can trust that those wins and nominations are well-deserved and only the beginning. Today, I want to get to know the artist behind the complicated, sometimes unlikable, damaged, perplexing characters. What does it take to take on characters like Tyler and Andrew in Fresno? And how did Steven find himself as a go-to guy for those kinds of roles in the first place? Steven Roberts, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you. Okay. So, what's your response to the thesis statement? Oh, you're t- I was like thinking a couple things while I was sitting here. I was like, wow, you're so good at your job. <laughs> I was like amazed actually, just your voice and just the, the practice and the cadence of it. I was, I was like, uh, coming from the theater, I, like I had a really good voice teacher and so I, I just really respect things like that when I, when I see them. Oh, thank you. Um, you also won a Leo Award, so congratulations. I was nominated. You were nominated? Yes. Oh, I thought it was a win. You know what? It was okay. It was a win just to be nominated it, exactly. because we were we created uh, the UBCP Actra Red Carpet Show, which I spoke mm-hmm. to you for. Yeah. Um, the in my kitchen, like it was the the virtual red carpet we did yeah, in my I kitchen. Remember. So it was it was like a really <laughs> awesome, dope 
pandemic specific experience. So the fact that we got two Leo nominations, like I never thought I'd be nominated for anything like that. So no, I was really excited and very, very shocked. So yes, the nomination was in fact a win. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Um, But I'm I'm curious about this idea of, of how many of these characters that you have on your filmography, you know? And the fact that, yes, well, on one hand, they are all wildly different. On the other hand, they are all complicated. They are damaged. They are not necessarily likable. Um, what draws you? What do you think draws you to char- characters like Tyler and Andrew and Fresno? Because um. I got to say, like, you look positively non-threatening uh, and delightful right now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and those are not words that I would use to describe, you know, a lot of the characters, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I see you inhabit. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, I think it's, uh, I think it, uh, it's a couple things. It's, um, I, I loved 90s films as a kid. Hmm. And so I, I watched actors like Gary Oldman. And, and one of the things I love about him is he's just this ball of fiery energy and um, I remember this like that Bruce Lee quote that's like you you know you put that you know, be like water you put the water into the cup it becomes the cup you put the water into the teapot it becomes the teapot and one of the things I've always loved about or admired about Gary is um, his ability to just completely transform yeah. uh, no matter and, and just kind of like take away that sensor that usually we walk around with every single day and just really allow himself to just become the character in in every way you know and not you know with fearless of you know without being fearless of being judged and it's interesting to to hear what you said there about being fearless because i i think that sometimes i i just am you know this all these indie films i've done i I really this is a training ground for me this is what this is for me i don't even i'm only now really getting started in the line in like the last year last two years um and, and i think just just I love intense characters. I love characters that really ask the audience, you know, very important questions, and and they make me ask myself very important questions. Um, and it's you know, it's weird because when I go home and I mentioned this in another interview, like The Office is playing at my house all the time. It drives my girlfriend nuts, and and <laughs> I, I it's I, I'm such a comedy fan. Like I love comedy, and so these these characters I've been cast as recently, it's. You know, it was you know opportunity to play them one after another, but it was also um, I, I think it's just I I love I love going for it. Yeah. Like I love you know before acting it was like mixed martial arts and I love physicality. So any phys- physical role that's like you know that brings on some independent director and they're like oh I see the character is like twenty pounds heavier or like thirty pounds heavier like I'm in it like I, if the script speaks to me or something about that character presents a challenge for me. Uh, especially a physical challenge. I just, I absolutely love that. So, and I'm not going to give spoilers, uh, especially for River Road, because I, I know that there is going to be some exciting um, theatrical release, you know, information coming down about that very soon. But there is a, there is a fight in that. There is, yeah. I think, is that I think you, or was that a, stu- a st- No, that was me. That was that you. Was me. That was just rough. Um, just I haven't, I haven't really seen it, so I don't, I can't really. Um, I, oh, I, I feel to, so. I feel so. <laughs> I feel like I have an advantage on you right now. <laughs> yeah, I went to like a cast and crew screening and I was like kind of kind of going like this, kind of squinting my eyes a little. 
and my girlfriend was like hitting me to pay attention but I, I I'm kind of one of those people that I don't I, I always you know I love the process of it I love yeah. the process of making a film I love the process of rehearsing something I'm, I'm not you know to sit in a theater and just kind of watch myself and be it's the weirdest thing ever for me it's it's like yeah, it's it's never been something I'm. Um, I, I mean, I think when you start auditioning for things a lot, you need to watch your tapes. You yeah. need to to do all that and make sure your eyelines are right and stuff. But I think as far as the process goes, making the film is like my favorite part. Yeah. So, and I want to do the origin story, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about where you come from and specific characters. But I do want to talk about these three in like in more general terms before we move on from there. Um. Because there is something both like unlikable and likable about you know each one of them, right? Um, or at least I'm not gonna say right because that was that was just my experience. But is it important for you to like a character, like who they are as a human being, in order to portray them? No, I, I believe it's important not to judge them, um, to get a clear understanding of you know what that person or character's lot is in life and and really um research that really research that like in god i trust um especially because of the the political aspect of that film um i really got into you know listening into you know you know certain uh certain talks and podcasts of like you know richard spencer and a number of other uh very very extreme uh, right-wing folks and it's and and also looking at the people that they aim to uh, inspire as well yeah. and uh, I'm really glad that I was researching all that it was all knowledge um, that I really needed to hear and to know that that's kind of what was going on in the world at the time and and uh, I don't think I have to like them no yeah. but I think it's important that I come from a place of empathy and that I don't judge them yeah, yeah. what what impact do these characters have on you you know, like, do you carry them with you in some way? Like, what kind of toll do they take? I guess I'm just mm -hmm. assuming, like, I'm not an actor, but I can assuming that, you know, being Tyler, and it was an indie film, so I'm assuming on weekends over the course of a year or, or whatever it was, um, you know, that that would, that would have some kind of toll, you know, psychically or, I mean, physically, you know, as well, or, you know, like, how do you mm -hmm. decompress from characters like this? I just, um, I have someone that I'm very in love with. Um, my my girlfriend, fiance, my fiance. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, you. you have to, there's only a, like a yeah, specific period a, of time you can say fiance, right? So. Yeah, that's right. Um, she has taught me so much about um, self-care, you know, and, and that's something I feel like uh, I've seen a lot of, you know, there's a lot of acting studios out there and ones I've kind of trained at and gone away from and, you know, and, and I, I wish it was something that I'd learned a little more about in the early years of acting. Hmm. Um, I think it's very important for me. I like come from like I was a counselor for years. Um, so I understand that process, the, yeah. the process of like, uh, okay, let's take you like, let's come off the rafters now and let's like, you know, do a bit of meditation, do a bit of yoga and get centered and get back to me and how do I really feel right now and, and, uh, and you know, if I'm not feeling 100%, like what can I do to get myself into that state and, and, uh, and, and I, I think it's important self-care. 
um, especially you know started um, actually Philip Philip Granger who we were just chatting about he yeah he encouraged me he was like bugging me for a little while to to come and teach with him and uh, and it's something I've recently done and and I see the pressure that actors put on themselves hmm. you know and I am guilty of it myself where um, I have a very I have a very strong work ethic and I know that about myself I'm confident about that um, but at the same time I need to take it easy on myself and be kind to myself and show myself love uh, with a bubble bath or you know like I'm I sorry I'm just imagining your characters having a bubble bath uh, yeah, I can't absolutely. imagine any of them yeah. having like a wee <laughs> we, we'd have yeah. bubble bath and watch the office yeah, yeah. No, baths are <laughs> baths are like my best friend yeah honestly bath stretching exercise yoga absolutely um, especially you know just anger just you know like the the impact you know especially when you're shooting for like a 17 hour day or something or 15 hour day like the impact that that has on your body you need to be able to take care of yourself after or yeah. you can you can hurt you can hurt yourself easily so, yeah yeah what about the the impact on empathy I mean you mentioned that you don't judge these characters you know before before you were playing characters like this like where like like has has inhabiting characters like this impacted how you empathize with other people or or judge them at mm-hmm. all? I th- I think so, absolutely. I mean, I think what's taught me a lot about that in general is just life, um, just kind of coming where I come from and and living the life I've lived. I I generally I try, not always successfully, but to have empathy for everyone and um, just. Under, understand where somebody, even a character, is coming from. It doesn't mean that I'm okay with where they come from or what they decide to do in their actions. Yeah. Um, but just to, to have a, a solid understanding, you know. Yeah. Okay. Did I answer that? Was that the, what was the, what was the question again? That was the, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, was that? That's, okay, great. that's a good answer. Good. good. <laughs> Did yeah. I, it's not a test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if your answer is all written down here in advance. Uh, let's go. Let's go back in time then. Let's let's go back to. I mean, you mentioned you know um, your past and the experiences you had. Where do you think your your story starts? Well, it's I've like I'm like writing a book. I'm on like draft seven right now. Wow. Yeah, draft seven. Um, I did the first draft, and then I queried a bunch of publishing companies, and then I reread it, and I was like, "What was I thinking?" Uh, so I like went back and I wrote, and I've just it's been, you know, a, a long time writing this now, and and uh, it's loosely based on uh, my file that I received from uh, the Freedom of Information Act with the Ministry of Children and Families. I applied through Freedom of Information, and I got a 798-page file, and it was basically my history from when I was taken away from my mother at five. Uh, my mother was a uh, she had m- mental illness mm-hmm. issues and, and depression issues and, and her addictions and whatnot. I believe that she really cared about me. I, I love her. and um, But I was taken away, and so I was um, put into the care of the ministry, and the ministry put me into the care of my grandmother, which was supposed to be on a six-month order. And then what happened was my grandmother was not uh, the most sane person, and she was very much in, involved in a religious organization slash you could call them a cult. Uh, mm. And she actually gave me away to a family in that organization. So I was I was taken, I was moved um, 
a few thousand miles away to Halifax, Nova Scotia. Not even, it was like Darlings Lake, Nova Scotia in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and the family itself that I was given to were, they had several other children of their own and um, and they actually had my older sister, half sister and older half brother as well. And so, um, so it was, it was not an environment uh, that was very nurturing. Mm. It was, they didn't have a lot of money. They gave most of the, you know, uh, I think they gave, or I've discovered over time, they probably gave um, a chunk of their finances to this religious organization. And and so I, I you know, I was there for a few years, um, you know, and everything that you can imagine uh, that could go wrong went wrong. Like mm. I was, you know, a victim of abuse, uh, you know, every which way and I so I ran away as soon as my legs could carry me uh, and I hit the streets in Halifax Nova Scotia I think I was like faster I was probably like 12 I think when I was on the street so I was like 11 and 12 you were a kid I was a kid yeah absolutely yeah and I just I learned to survive I learned um, I learned to survive in a way I, I was horrible in school like I was absolutely horrible in school I was you know, well, how could teachers, you be anything but horrible? Exactly, right? exactly. You have all that stuff going on at home, and yeah. the teachers are looking at you like, you know, why is this kid trying to light it? You know, light things on fire in my classroom, and then, you know, then there's uh, this whole other side of the story you don't know about. And and uh, so I was I was on the street at an early age, and and I lived that life. I did. I was, you know, you learn to survive. I, you know, I remember having a street mom, uh, this really strong woman I knew, and and she kind of took care of me for a bit. And and it was, you know, we lived on the street together. And she was like, "Listen, kid, if you're out here and anybody messes with you, you mess with them so hard they never think about messing with anybody ever again." And that's how I grew up. That's how I lived my life for years. And uh, and I was just lost. I was I was a hurting kid. And and I never I, I didn't enjoy that gangster mentality. I didn't enjoy being tough. I didn't enjoy, you know, doing the things I had to do to get by. It was uh, basically about my survival. That's what I had to do to survive. Um, and so I, I at one point, um, I couldn't be on the street anymore because of the weather conditions in Halifax. It was just brutal. Like a couple winters on the street and you're, um, you know, there's ice water soaking into your shoes and this is like not Yeah, fun, they will so. often get like three feet of snow in a single snowfall. Yeah, yeah. And there's less resources. In Vancouver, you know, on the downtown east side, you just have hundreds of resources yeah. that are available to people. And out east, it's a complete, it's fight or, you know, you know, feast or famine kind of thing. And, and uh, you got to do what you got to do to get by. And, and uh, so anyways, I, I did, you know, there was a family that kind of took me in and around this time, like my dad was kind of getting his stuff together and, and he was, you know, I knew nothing about him. Uh, and he was like, oh, I want to take care of, I want to, I want to take care of uh, my kid again. And so he kind of came back into my life. So I went trying to live with him. Um, he like relapsed, took off, sold all our stuff out of the apartment and, uh, and just like went and did his own thing. I ended up staying with my uncle um, and it, it was it was just a mess for years. From there, at like one point, I tried to like hitchhike because I, f- I fell in love with this girl, and I somehow ended up in like Vancouver, BC, and I had to like hitchhike back to Halifax to like get her. And so I would do things like that, like just blind faith that somehow I was going to be okay. Yeah. And I was like a child growing up, you know, like that. And and uh, it's crazy. Like you you also it might have been a really tough time in my life, but I also witnessed a lot of compassion that people have. Like yeah. people like. You know, they find this like hungry kid on the street, and they're like, you know, they would buy me a meal or buy me a new pair of shoes because like my my toes were poking out of the ends, or 
or um, you know hitchhiking it's like people like pick you up and you know you had some wild times too like there were times I write about that are like filled with like you know partying and just like all sorts of mischief like I had I had a blast at times um, and it wasn't it wasn't all bad it was just filled with you know goofy times um, at the same time and and uh, it was, you know, but I learned a lot. And, and anyways, uh, long story short, I ended up uh, eventually, luckily, I ended up going into a recovery house. My mom passed away. Oh. I met her once and we spent the afternoon to, together. Uh, she was a really beautiful person. She like kissed me lots and, and we, we had a really beautiful time together. Um, but And I write about it actually in my book. Um, uh, and, I, and, I, and I miss her and, and I love her and I, and I always kind of wonder, you know, like what she was like. Like, I wish I had so much more information about these people that just kind of came in and out of my life so quickly. Yeah. And same with my dad. Like, I found myself, uh, like, throughout writing the book, like, I, I'm talking to my dad and, or like, I'm, I'm writing about my dad and it's like, I remember little things about him that were actually quite quirky and funny. It's not all just like he stole our stuff and like took off. Yeah. But he was actually a, a funny guy in his own way. Yeah. And, uh, and I think he really wanted to connect with me. But I think after he hadn't seen his son in years, it was really hard for him to do that. Yeah. Um, so at this point, as I ended up, you know, getting in, you know, get, this is where like, I ended up getting really bad because I started experimenting with drugs that were like I started like using crystal meth I started doing things that were just like I was just out of control I ended up back in foster care I went to like I can't even count the foster homes I was in um, for a period of time there and I, I was just at the lowest of the low and and uh, luckily out of nowhere I ended up um, I ended up in this detox randomly, uh, and there was a worker there I kind of connected with, this this other very strong female, and um, I remember her name is Jackie, and and she made the book as well, um, and uh, she influenced me to actually go to this youth program that mm. she knew about, and I did. I went there, and and I wanted, at first, I wanted nothing, nothing to do with this place. I, like, went there, and it was like... Um, bunch of kids they like get up first thing in the morning they all make their beds the guy like you know the staff member comes over they like check everybody's beds it was just like it was almost like military yeah. camp for like recovery kids and and that wasn't the part like I could handle that that was fine going to the gym I could handle going to the gym listening to these counselors like talk themselves in a circle I could I could handle all that what scared the daylights out of me were these intimate moments that would happen in a group setting and it, they, it would be young boys talking about things that actually happened to them. Like having real conversations about, yeah, you know what? Uh, I was touched or I was hit or I was, you know, it hurt me, it hurt my feelings when my dad ran out or it hurt my feelings, you know? And they would they would talk about feelings, right? They would talk about things that I, I was completely terrified of. That you had been no, running No, I would, I would leave I would like leave and I would I would like go to my room after and I would have little meltdowns and stuff not knowing how to handle that and uh, and it got to the point where I actually ran away from the program I was like yeah. I'm like out of here and I was and I and I ran away and I went and I, I remember hitchhiking again and I hitchhiked up to Princeton and when I was in Princeton there's like this um, it's this like getaway Buddhist monastery that I ended up at and you're not supposed to speak like the entire time. Meanwhile, like I've got habits, like I chain smoke and I'm like, just, and I swear, like I use fuck as punctuation and I'm like, I don't even know if I can swear on this thing, but. You fucking can. I, okay, great. <laughs> um, anyways, I, anyways, I somehow in just the couple days spent, I met this monk and, and he would have these conversations without even saying a word to me. And, 
for me, it was like, I just wanted to crawl out of my skin at points. And then all of a sudden, I think it was around like the third day, the third or fourth day, I remember sitting with him, we'd like chop some wood. Um, and we were like, I think we were getting ready for, for dinner, which was actually, so it would have been in the morning, like around uh, early afternoon, because um, they eat at certain times. Yeah. like and, 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 uh, and I remember all of a sudden my mind slowed down, like everything just like completely calmed down. And I remember finding, you know, this contact or this connection with something greater than myself. And you can call it God or, or whatever you want to call it, but I found this connection with something that told me I need to go and whatever I do, I need to go. I need to get them to let me back in this program and I need to finish this program. And and I did that. I, I was the only, I was the first person, the first kid they ever actually let back into the program because it was like a thing that was called the last door. And so if you were, if you left the last door, you like weren't allowed to come back because they're, they're pretty extreme. and. And if they hadn't have been, it wouldn't have worked for me, you know? Yeah. So that's usually my answer to that. But uh, anyways, I went back and I remember there were some staff members there and, and I went and I and I just plumped myself down in this chair. Uh, and they were in the middle, I think they were like interviewing some parents and they're like, who's this weird sweaty kid that's like out of his mind that just like came, like came and sat down in the office. And I just plumped myself down in the office and I said, you can call the cops, you can call my social worker, Bob, I don't care, I'm not leaving. And they just like did everything, like get out of here and like tell me to like kick bricks and stuff. And, and I wouldn't leave. And um, it got to the point where I, I could come take part in the program, but at the evening I had to go back to this like group home. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, and then all of a sudden all the kids in the program kind of rallied together and they were kind of hiding me in the park across the street. And I was sleeping there at first. And then I would like wake up first thing, come help everybody with chores and just spend the day. And then I would leave at the end of the night after we'd go to like an AA or NA meeting. and. Anyway, so like I, it, it's crazy, but they, they kind of like almost went behind people's back. They were like sneaking me into the program to like, to like sleep there uh, as well. Like when it started to get cold outside or whatever. And then eventually the guy that, that owned the program, his name is Dave Pavlis. Uh, great guys done like a, just tons for the uh, recovery community uh, out in New West and whatnot. Really good guy. Um, he, he just like picked me up. He like, this is biker guy, like huge, huge goatee, just total, total total badass and I, and I loved being around that as a kid and and uh, he like picked me up in his Hummer uh, and like we drove around he's like well what are you gonna do are you gonna stick around this time and I'm like yeah I'll stick around and he's like okay well we'll see and he let me back into the program finally and and I and I finished I finished that and I finished there and then I ended up working there yeah. um, they were like the first people I think to hire me um, to actually like at a real job you know and uh, and I started working there and at the time I, th I don't think um, I, did, I it took me years to understand um, how to really connect and empathize with people like how to really like see okay you know and I've, I've worked in extreme cases like on the downtown east side like somebody's spitting and screaming at you and you're like you know what whatever you're doing like that is not personal that has nothing to do with me yeah you're just suffering right now wherever you're at um, anyway so like I I worked there for a few years and then I got antsy and I traveled and whatnot and uh, you know there were a lot of other things that I hadn't even addressed, right? There's a, like tons, just a boatload of trauma, you yeah. know? And uh, I went to school and I learned about it. And, and all of a sudden I remember I like, you know, started, uh, started, you know, it was very, it sounds cliche, but I would like wake up in sweats and nightmares and stuff like that. And 
you know, I would train really hard in martial arts and stuff and think, you know, like if I can get big enough and I can stay tough enough, like, you know, no one's ever going to hurt me again. No one's mm. ever going to, you know, and e even though I'd healed to a certain extent, there was still a trauma I hadn't dealt with. Yeah. And that came back and it just started to like really mess with me for a while. And I, and I took a bit of a dive there for a bit and, and pushed away a lot of my friends and, uh, and just kind of went into a really big depression. Uh, and I ended up in other programs and, and did all that. And one day I woke up and I'm not even kidding you. And every, every urge I had to hurt myself, to, to, to feel like I had to be that tough guy, just went away, just went away. And I, I don't know what it was because like both sides of my family on either side, they've suffered for years with addiction, with like, um, you know, dealing with like abuse issues, dealing with, you know, I think, you know, my grandpa was in jail forever. Um, and just, it just the further down the line you go, like you just see it like everywhere. And uh, well, there's, I, I, there's art, the trauma that we experience, then there's mm -hmm. also the trauma that's blood memory absolutely. as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I totally believe in that, 100%. Um, and yeah, so I just, I woke up and, and I got this, uh, I got this idea in my head that, um, and it wasn't my idea. It was what I was taught as like a, a youth in that program. It was just that life is what you make it. I've got one life and like, how do I want to spend it? Like, what do I want to be doing? And so I just started helping other people. I got, uh, I got a job at a homeless shelter um, on the east side and it became honestly m one of my greatest teachers in life. Mm -hmm. um, and I just started working there and and uh, I remember, I just actually answered this in another interview. I was like having to like write it out for this other interview I had and and it was like how I found acting. It's like I found acting actually doing one-on-one -on -one counseling with a homeless guy in Crab Park. Like we were, in, I, like I was like, I had like the duty to like take this guy out for coffee, get to know him. He was like an actor for some time, and then you know life kind of kicked his ass. And and he's like, have have you ever thought of doing this? And I was like, nope, and never. And and at this time, I think I was like I was like 25, 26. So there's like a lot that had happened and and uh, and so we ended up he ended up like coaching me. He gave me this play and it was called Waiting for Godot. And mm. it's about these two guys sitting around waiting for God to show up. And, you know, a lot of the things that I've been through in life, a lot of the abuse I went through, there was a certain amount of that that was spiritual abuse mm -hmm. that I went through. And and so this here's this like story about two guys waiting for God to show up. And ironically, in my own life, I felt like I was waiting for God to show up. Like, it's crazy because there were like all these times where obviously there was something present in my life helping me, like helping me. But like, really, I had no idea. Uh, I had no idea what that I wasn't like committed to anything. I didn't really like focus my life around it or anything. And so this play, I remember reading it and there were just so many questions I had. Like Samuel Beckett, I don't know what he was on at the time when he wrote it but it's just so so crazy and i've seen like some of the best actors in the world like attempt this play and it is so it's just very difficult material if mm -hmm. you don't fully understand it and i got it like on my first read i i remember like he's like you should really consider consider doing this he's like you just went like burn through these pages like in a matter of minutes you should like definitely do this and I, I, he actually gave me the play as a gift. He was like, like, you don't have to do it, but here, you obviously like this, so like, why don't you take this? And, uh, and if you wanna talk more about this, we can talk more about this. So ironically, it ended up, I'm here to like counsel this man and this, this homeless guy that you, you would assume, you know, by the kind of state he was in, didn't have very many answers. And he gave me the best gift I could have ever gotten. And 
what that did for me was acting became this thing. I always loved great films. I am like a 90s film fanatic. I like absolutely love 90s films. Um, and and I was just like, could I really do that? Like is, you know, and there's a part of acting where it's like when someone's getting started, you have to kind of, I think you like kind of coach them along and you encourage them. Yeah, yeah, you're amazing, you're amazing. And he did that for me. And and I remember just being like, man, that's like, that's such a good, good feeling. And then when it came to like, when it came time to like, go to my first acting class, I went to my first acting class. Um, and it was, it was actually here in town. And I did not have a very good experience oh. at all. It was like, it was one of those things where um, I, and it wasn't due to anybody, it was my own obstacles. I, I clammed up in front of people. I was, you know, even to this day, I'm not the best auditioner, but I remember being in that class and just like everyone staring at me and I'm just like looking around, there's like all these like really good looking, pretty people. Like just like, they're like so like lovely looking and you know, I'm there, I got like tats. At the time I was like a little bigger uh, than, than I am now and I was like, this is not my, like I'm not supposed to be here. Like that's how I, I felt inside. And uh, and so I like ran an away. Yeah, I ran away. I left. Yeah. I left. I even let my scene partner down because like yours, like assigned a scene with a scene partner. So I even let you know her down, and and I felt really bad about it. And then I remember I went to the recovery club. Um, just it's on like Main and Tenth area, like kind of it's like Main and Tenth. Mm-hmm. And there's this like uh, it's kind of like an Atlanta club, recovery club. And I like went there to see my sister because my sister she's also like struggled with you know, her addictions and stuff. Anyways, I, I don't know why he was there. I have, I have no idea why he was there. Um, but I ended up going to this meeting and my sister's chairing the meeting. So she's like sitting like at the head of the crowd and then I'm kind of sitting behind. And she like points over to like somebody who could be sitting beside me. And I'm like, looking. Oh, I don't get it. It's like a candlelit meeting. So they're like, it's like very candlelit and uh, it's very dark in there. It's like hard to see anybody. And anyways, I look over and it's Robin Williams. And I'm oh, like, yeah. I'm like, was not expecting him to make yeah. an appearance I, in your story. Absolutely. And like, I have no idea why he was there. He could have been there to support a friend, or you know, I know he's had his own obstacles. I have no idea. That's not my business. Um, but after my sister like walked up to him at like halftime of this meeting and was like. I'm your, or you're my biggest fan, like, and to Robin Williams. And then she's like, oh, God, what did I just say? And then he laughed. He's like, I am your biggest fan. And, like, just gave her a hug. And, and, you know, my sister, too, like, she had a bit of a rough life. And so she, you know, it was, you know, but he was, I just remember him in all these films, like Patch Adams and, like, all these films that I just, just absolutely love. The Fisher King, like, all these amazing, amazing movies. So it just kind of blew my mind. And and at the time I was working on this, this like the scene that I had for the acting class, I'd like pretty much decided to ditch it, but I had the scene in my backpack and it was a scene from Good Will Hunting. And so- What? She, yeah, and then my sister like started, it's like one of those things that it's so weird, but like when you kind of come from the hood or whatever, and you start acting and stuff, people are like proud of that. And mm-hmm. so people would just say like, oh yeah, do you know Steve's gonna be in Hollywood, Steve's gonna, my sister would be like, my brother's an actor, my brother's an actor, like, and so, and she did that, like she told Robin Williams that I was an actor, I didn't even say anything. And I was like, uh, hello, Mr. Williams. And um, and we kind of chatted at this halftime and, and he's like, he's like, oh, okay. And then after, after the meeting, the, the meeting went in, finished, and then after the meeting, we like went for this walk. There was uh, a member of his entourage or, or somebody that was with him maybe it was a uh somebody was supporting at the meeting i have no idea but we ended up like a block away um from this place just just at like the jj bean there we were at jj bean yeah i love that i love that spot the coffee's so good um and 
And he's like, well, we just all ended up there. It was like me and my sister, this member of the entourage, a couple other people um, from the, from this uh, thing. And and, uh, and me and him ended up talking. He's like, oh, so you're an actor. What are you working on? And I'm like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was like, I don't want to tell you at all. <laughs> like, And uh, and I like pull the scene out of my bag, and it's this very like moving scene from, from Good Will Hunting. And he's like, he just kind of smirks. And I was like, yeah, I know a little bit about this. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, he's he's like, well, let's see what you got. And he like, and it's kind of at first we're like around a couple of people, like, and he's like looking around. He's like, no, 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 let's let's go for a walk. And so we went to this park, like not even like a block away. And he coached me for probably probably two hours. Like it was like an hour, two hours. He was literally he was and ever it was crazy because you have to understand I was a different person. I didn't let people hug me. Yeah. I didn't let people come that close to me and there was something about him that was very disarming and I it's such a blur because I was acting at the time too and sometimes when you're acting there's things you remember there's things you don't you're kind of in the moment and stuff but I just remember his his words that you're meant for this you're meant for this you're meant to do this and and I and every it's weird and um it it has just always stayed with me it has always stayed with how me how could it not and yeah. he's being so present and so mm-hmm. like he had no reason to bullshit you or to spend that time with you or anything other than the fact that you inspired him and and he believed in you what a great person to move into your head as well right oh absolutely you know like yeah. how, how did how how does has that impacted you you know in the years since um well it impacted me enough to do a couple things it impacted me enough to actually get back to class and finish that class that I had started mm-hmm. when I had decided in my ego I'd already like not shown up one week and I was like no way I'm going back and it was enough to be like no this is wrong go back to class I went and finished the class I went and studied somewhere else after but I went and I finished that class and and I just kept trying to figure out this puzzle of acting and and I would do some I would have a teacher be like you're good but like you need to like learn how to work with people and you need to um learn how to be okay you know experiencing you know certain emotional states Mm -hmm. you know and and so i'd be like you know they would tell me to go to therapy so i went to therapy didn't even think about it and then i did therapy for years and i like i still have nothing against it i like would still go do it it's good for anybody you know i love therapy yeah i think everybody should go to therapy absolutely yeah Get, get that sounding board. Talk out your totally. stuff. You know, everybody has some kind of trauma, you yeah. know, that, that will inhabit their their bones, right? You yeah. know, it's good to deal with that. That is, that is amazing. So at what point then did you start thinking about, and I'm assuming at some point you must have started thinking about your future mm-hmm. and what you wanted to to do and, and what you wanted to be and like what you wanted, you know, mm-hmm. beyond survival. And survival is important. Absolutely. You know, but once yeah. you meet those, it's, it's what is that, the, the Maslow, you know, pyramid of needs, right? Mm. You know, so you meet those needs and, and then you can allow yourself to, to seek the self-actualization and to, you know, yeah. so, so when did you start to, I'm assuming at some point you started to, to think about that. Absolutely. I mean, um, well, I, I think like when you go through trauma, um, I think at a young age or like as much as I've read up on it, there's there's you stop kind of like growing in certain ways. Like you stop. There's certain like levels of yourself that they just they become a little stunted. Yeah. And I think that those levels you need to challenge 
and um, safely and in the hands of professionals. Um, but you know, for me, it was like go back to school, get an education. Mm -hmm. You know, going back to school is the best thing I ever did. Becoming, gaining more knowledge was like essential to my growth. Um, the thing is, is and and I, it's so weird because I, I don't even. I mean, I watch movies. I stay up on certain series, especially if I want to audition for them. But all I do is I read and I write and I listen to audiobooks. Like they're just you know yeah. amazing, and that is what I choose to do with my time. Now I was the worst student ever. Right, and this didn't start with what I really needed to learn how to do was create small, tangible goals. Like, if you want to, like, say, go get a driver's license, right? You take on that full book, you read that whole book. That book is boring. Your mind wanders. Whatever you take the test, you fail. Now, if you just tell yourself, if I read one chapter every single day yeah. in nine days or ten days, how many, however many chapters this is, I'm going to know this book so well. I'm going to give it time to sink in. You know, and then maybe you do that twice. Maybe you decide to take, you know, the next 18 days and do that or whatever. It's small, tangible goals like that that start to snowball. Yeah. One of the things I realized, like, and I knew this working with um, Robin that day, is like I, I did not start this journey to, to have 150 credits, yeah. to have 200 credits on my resume. I have, I have no interest in that. I, I don't care if I have, like... I don't want 20 reoccurrings, honestly. I love films. I love stories where like there's characters that make you feel something and I, I love being challenged to play leading parts. That's yeah. what I do. And what I've been doing up until now, like I mentioned this at the beginning, is I've been in a training ground. I've been making sure that my mind can handle this, that my body can handle this, that my life won't suffer because I choose to work in an intense way. Yeah. But I've been training myself to, you know, right now everything I'm kind of moving toward LA and. And uh, me and my my girlfriend right now are like fiance. deciding. To, fiance, she caught me good. She's gonna be listening to this and be like, "That's twice, that's twice." Um, and uh, so we're like, move, kind of making that leap toward LA. And and I've been in preparation for this. I've like, and I have no illusions about being some movie star or anything. But I know that I like to play lead roles, yeah. and I know that I bring the the work ethic and the intensity to do that. And I know sometimes that intimidates people. You know, like when you're you know, auditioning for like, you know, a Tim Hortons commercial or not necessarily a Tim Hortons commercial, but you're auditioning for some of these TV shows. It's like, no, just, just get this across. Like, just say these couple lines. You know what I mean? And for me, it's like, I will make a choice that will make somebody be like, what are you doing? And I don't know, but I'm having fun doing it. Yeah. And that's my choice. Um, and that's, I, I don't know if that's the right or the wrong way to do it. I just know that I enjoy this artistic journey of being an actor. Uh, because I enjoy it. It's not, I don't, I don't like, um, I'm, I'm all about making money. Like I love it. And I think I have like lots of friends, you know, with those kind of resumes with that many credits and they yeah. have amazing careers and that's great. But my eye is like focused on, I know how good I am. I know what I can accomplish as an actor. Uh, and you know, you can look at movie stars like, oh, they like did this with their weight. They did that or it's not that complicated if you choose to like be that good at something. Yeah. And this is like a, a day in my life is honestly, I, I wake up at seven, I write till 1 p.m. I work out for a couple hours. I spend time in that process. I'll take micro breaks with my girlfriend. She is a brilliant actor. She works uh, on a lot of series in town here. Uh, and she's just uh, such a teacher to me, like such a, such a, a force too behind me. You know, I'll write, I'll be like writing for like six, seven hours straight and she will like just bring meals and plop them down and be like, you need to take a walk now. Or like, yeah. you're getting crisp, go for a while, you know, like <laughs> go, go for a little self-care. Okay, okay. Um, but that that's just the kind of work ethic um, 
I think that I, I need to have. Like I, I don't I don't want to do this half measured. I don't want to do it like I don't care. Yeah. You know, like sometimes they're like, you just like care too much or whatever. It's like, I do, I do. Like if someone cast me in their movie or some kid, you know, racks up his credit cards making an indie film and decides to hire me and pay me my worth, I will do everything I can to make sure that this character is brought to life in the way that he had it in his imagination. I don't even, honestly, I don't even watch these films. I don't even like, I, I don't even like, I, I do, I've seen a, like two of them now, but I, I don't, it's not even about that for me. It's about the process. Yeah. And for me, again, this has been a great, a fantastic training ground for me. Yeah. Right. But now I feel like I'm like ready to like go elsewhere, do other things and just see what happens. So, yeah. yeah. What I find amazing is is how much you just spent the last few minutes talking about about what you enjoy and about joy, mm-hmm. you know? And it's it's amazing that that is, you know, considering the the characters that you play and also the trauma you've experienced and the life that you've led that now joy, you know, occupies such a mm-hmm. a huge part of, you know, it's it what motivates you, it what drives you. Absolutely. Um that wasn't a question, really. No, but, like I, I just, I I'm just marveling yeah. at, yeah. at at the fact that you know. So, what do you like? What role, you know? What, where does joy fit in your craft? Well, everywhere. I think it's you know, joy is an interesting thing. I had this like um, this teacher at one point. He told me that joy is like when you feel everything, like when you, you know, when you're when you ha- when you're feeling things about your past, the present, and what could be in the future. And joy is really all of it. When yeah. it's when you really experience all of it, I one of the things I did as well is I, I went and uh, like I traveled Europe uh, and I went to Prague. My girlfriend, she's from the Czech Republic, so yeah. she speaks Czech fluently, and and so we went you to, to Praha. To Praha, exactly. <laughs> um, and just learning about that culture um, and and those places that are just beyond beautiful, um, you know, to be to come from a foster kid on the street, like with nothing, and to be standing in a cathedral with paintings that were painted hundreds of years ago, or to be standing in uh, the theater watching Richard III where Beethoven uh, premiered uh, Don Giovanni, that culture yeah. that was just syringed into my in, into my soul being there uh, was amazing. And, and I do believe that I have felt moments of that joy, where it's like, and, and honestly it's, uh, it just makes me feel grateful for for every day that I have as well. Like one of the things we did as well is we went to um, Tetezine and we went and we saw the concentration camps mm. uh, in the Czech Republic. Uh, and like thousands upon thousands of people died there because of the conditions of the camp uh, and like executions and whatnot. And and uh, it, it it was just it was very it was a very solemn day. But it made me walk away once again, like I am so grateful to be alive. I am yeah. so grateful to live in a time where I can actually even live the life of an artist. Uh, and when, whenever I think I have it, I've had it rough, or I find myself, you know, I didn't book that part or something, or you know, I just imagine what those camps must have been like for people, what that that time period must have been like, worrying about your family, whether or not they were going to survive. And, and my problems compared to that are like nothing. Getting out of bed is a gift. Like I and I, I truly understand that. Like I actually come from nothing. Like I came from nothing. I was on the street. I had nothing, and I was. I'd fallen through the craps. The ministry didn't know where I was. Uh, I could have died, and nobody would have. Nobody would have cared. 
Yeah. You know, no, there was there was nobody, and uh, and to be where I am, this is just fun for me. This is fun. Like this is like it's not just, um, you know, being an actor. It's being alive. Like just being alive, mm-hmm. being with my girlfriend, being surrounded. Fiance, in your home. fiance, Damn, third. <laughs> Life happens in threes. Um, yeah. So like being with my fiance and just experiencing that unconditional love. Yeah. You know, and I think I think that that's what life is all about. I th- I think um, I think I'm still learning about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to circle back to um, to homelessness and also the foster care system. Um, you know, because a lot of what a lot of people understand about it is what they see on screen, right? You know, so what does the what do you think that our our local industry gets wrong? about you know how they depict homelessness and and the foster care system well i think i think it's not trending i I think that's that is it i mean right now um with a lot of the indigenous children that have been found uh in residential schools um i i have to say i have a a friend that i did one of these short films with and his name is joe buffalo and he's one of the best like i loved skateboarding as a kid too like it was something I kind of clung to and I watch him skate and he is fearless yeah. he is fearless everything that guy does is amazing even as an actor like I remember he he got up and and we're filming and he just kind of told his story a little bit and I was just like there is no acting like that guy is just an absolute inspiration to me and uh and he does amazing things like traveling to uh, different uh, reserves and places and making sure that kids get to use skateboards, get to have skateboards and stuff. And everything that guy does, I just stand behind 100%. Um, but really, I think it's, you know, people are kind of uninformed in a certain way. People, it's, and I, I think it's because as a society, we don't get anything from children. Therefore, we don't give a shit, you mm-hmm. know, which is a very tragic, a tragic thing. Um, now people are starting to care. And I think uh, the more that they care, uh, hearing about residential schools, hearing about things that the government, that the ministry has covered up, the more that it's gonna, it's it's just this is just like this is just scratching the surface. Yeah, right and I now. think what a lot of Canadians don't realize is that there are more more Indigenous children in foster care than were ever in residential schools. There are more children that are taken from their That's right. from their families, you know, and put in the foster care system than were ever in the, the Indian residential schools. That's right. You know, so right. it's not just about, you know, the legacy of, of the past. It's also about the very real present. You know, there are mm-hmm. children who both past and, and now who who cannot and should not be forgotten. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. I was reading I was reading some stats the other day actually and I it was if a, a child in care is 40% more likely to die by the time they're 20 or something like that. I was I'm like butchering oh. that stat, but it's like a child a foster kid is like it, they're like 40% more likely or no, is it I can't remember. I have to go. But if you Google these stats, like yeah. American and Canadian based, you'd be amazed with with what you find. For me, like I remember being in foster care, and it, there was no care. There was like you were warehoused. You know, here's some pizza pockets. Here's some chocolate milk. Uh, we'll take you shopping, like you know, once a week or something. And uh, and every once in a while, you'd get a foster parent that cared, but for the most part, you were. I was just kind of like warehoused, and I just kind of drifted around. You know, and until you're with no education, yeah. right? No education, no structure, no like uh, parental figures to really give any advice. Just like pay, just warehoused. And and there's companies, there's people that make you know 
a ton of money off that as well. So it's uh, it's just it's 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 wild when you it's one of those things that I I'm even careful about because the once you start like researching and whatnot, you're just like, I can't believe yeah. this is actually happening. Yeah, and that kids age out and then- And then they age out and they're like, see you later, good yeah. luck. You have like failed every class you've ever taken. You know nothing about life. Here, go fend for yourself. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <sighs> well, I definitely want to read your book, uh, which I understand uh, is called The Ex- Extraordinary Tales of Surviving Boyhood. That's true, that's it. That is true, okay. That is, yeah. What would you title the memoir about this current stage of your life? Fearless. Yeah. Fearless. Yeah, I don't it's weird. It I I was prepared. I feel like my my like ego or like something like wanted to like when you read your what what, what did you call it? I call it my thesis statement. Your thesis. Yeah, your yeah. Th- when you read your thesis statement, I was like man that's like on the money like that that's the thing is like it's it's uh it's one of these things too where it's like i absolutely i i i don't let fear run my life like i don't i don't give it an inch anymore i don't there was there was i was afraid of everything i was afraid of the government i was afraid of life i was afraid of love intimacy like you name it and and at this point in my life i just don't have time for it yeah. And I don't, I don't have time for people that let it into theirs. Mm. Um, you know, one person I, I kind of had to separate with, just a, a friend, and uh, I've known him for years, I love him, but like, it's almost like every one of our interactions became about me telling him that what he was doing was okay. Hmm. And yet he was caught in this cycle of fear. And I removed myself from the situation and was like, okay, so if I like, if like, I don't want to rub this guy the wrong way, I have to be like, hey, good job. Like, I'm contributing to his cycle. I'm contributing to his mm. cycle of fear that he's caught in. I can't do that. Yeah. I can't be around that. I have to be around the exact opposite if I want to remain steadfast, if I want to actually remain fearless yeah. and get where I want to go in life. Like, and that, that's the biggest thing. Like, any, any kind of kind of people or, mm. or any time I'm afraid of something, it's like I want to do it. I want to do it. I mean... That being said, I take very calculated risks. I was going to say, there's some yeah, risk yeah. assessment my uh, fiance, in there as well. See, I said it. My fiancé <laughs> is like taught me all about that. You know, at yeah. first, I remember a couple of years ago, um, I just was like, okay, we're going to L.A. Let's like, let's do this. And she was like, uh, no, uh, let's get this, 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 this in order. Get a little, you know, a little thing called savings in order and then decide what we want to do from there. You know, and that for me, it's like, I just want to go, 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 go. And she just like helps me to stop, slow down, think these things through. Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like fearlessness is a practice. It's not just, um, it is. just yeah, an, an emotion or, or something you do on a whim, right? It's something you have to be dedicated to. Mm-hmm. Like a martial art. Like a martial art. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Fresno and about River Road, which incidentally also stars friend of the podcast, Cody Kearsley. Cody did come in uh, and cool. talk to us uh, before the pandemic. Um, I know that uh, River Road will will s- soon be available for people to see. And when I get that information, I will tweet it out. Um, but uh, I don't have that information right at that this moment because I think that still confirming all the details and stuff yeah. but can you tell me some of the um so river road is about this like rock star guy played mm-hmm. by cody, cody. The gorgeous, the 
co- yeah, Cody the gorgeous. I know. He's just hideous to look at, That co- our, our young Cody Kearsley. Um, and, uh, and he ends up going down this this whole pretty rough road uh, with, with drugs and with crime and with a girlfriend who's ride or die. Mm. Um, and you play a drug dealer. Uh, who um, Cody and his girlfriend? Uh, how do I put this? That's spoiling. Choose to tangle with. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, can you tell me some of the memorable moments from for you from filming River Road? As we talked about before, this was uh, where you got to show your mad fighting skills. Mm. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen it yet, so I hope I, I hope it looks okay. Um, but um, yeah, it was memorable stuff. Was well, it was interesting because. I, I was only supposed to be in that like for like a certain amount and then um, the director uh, Rob Wiley was like he would just like capture kind of more and more of my performance and be like oh what if we did this what if we got some shots of you running what if we got you know and then things just kind of started to add to the to the story yeah um, and that that's happened before that happened with um, in God I trust too there's a huge that ending um, of the film was you know, supposed to be completely different. Wow. And then I ended up, they ended up going with, you know, Tyler to like a, the end, the very end of that, of that film. So it was, it was very interesting to, to, to have that experience where the director's just digging what you're throwing down. And, and Cody was having a blast as well. Cody was just like looking at me like, you're a fucking lunatic. And, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, we were doing scenes. Like I remember I like answered the door I think with like my belly sticking out and I had a freezy in my mouth and I was like, <laughs> I don't, we were just doing weird, weird. And I would just, the thing about that I liked about Rob was he knows how to like make sure that things don't get boring. And with an yes. audience, you know, and that was the thing that like made me want to come out and work with him is like, it was his energy. It was his, you know, I auditioned for that um, in my friend's apartment it was like my friend Cameron Crosby's apartment. And it was totally through like, and that's the thing is like, I got a lot of these roles through like, I know a guy. Yeah. I know a guy who would be perfect for this. And and it's weird because like the things, the biggest parts I've ever booked are things that like, you know, let me introduce you to Steve. And uh, and like, huh. so, which is which is such a, and, and, and that begets more work. Like Rob right now is actually writing another movie based around Fresno. I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that, wow. but he is, which is just wild, you know, which is just wild. And to see like kind of how that Fresno kind of has grown into this whole, uh, whole That's other thing. And, That's great. Yeah. And he's he, like, his energy as a director is just more like, give me more, like turn yeah. it up. I mean, more, he's a like, real just, filmmaker too. He's writer, yeah. director, editor. Mm-hmm. He, act, he was in the movie as well. Yeah. 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 And he, he just, and he was the cinematographer. He's and he was the, the cinematographer. The whole time. He's just, <laughs> he has that like, um, that energy, uh, especially for, it's so good around um, performers. It just gets them involved. Like he did the thing. I don't even think he had much of a budget. I don't think, it, you know, and he did, I think he, I haven't, when I see it, I'll like judge it because I think the final uh, they've just like finished it or whatever, and it's uh, to release at some point here. I don't have the dates on me right now, but um, but at some point I probably will watch it because I'm curious how it turned out with like no budget, going to people being like, listen, um, I'm gonna make this movie. Let's. I just want to like make a good movie. Like, what can we do? You know. And he just had this energy that like made me want to work with him. Yeah. You know, it was no. I've I've worked with other independent directors that like. 
you know, they've got to like pinch pennies and I get it, it costs a lot of money. But at, this, at the end of the day, like if I made a movie, I would want to make sure everyone got paid, even yeah. if it's an indie film. You know what I mean? People get paid. People, this is people's livelihood. And, and uh, but the thing with Rob is it was pure passion and I had no problem. Like, and Veronica was like super supportive of me doing it. And uh, the character drove her nuts because I would be like saying certain lines over and over and she'd be like, don't say that anymore. We have neighbors like. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she was just kind of like, uh, but it, it was a great experience all around. Um, it was even the audition, like just to be uh, the I know a guy thing is like so old school. It's hilarious. It's just like Cam, my friend Cameron Crosby, he actually won a Leo for Cake Day, which was a short that we were in. Right. So he won best performance in that. Um, so like he just randomly called me and was up. It's like, hey, I might do this thing. And he was attached at first to the to the project. And then he like, uh, I think he booked something else or whatever, had to had to do something. And and uh, so he was like, hey, yeah, I know, I know this guy, Rob. He's making a film. There's this character. You'd be dope. And, and he's like, you want to come over tomorrow and like read for it? I'll bring over the director. So I did. So I like, I read, I read it. I like kind of um, went through the lines of stuff. And I like just went there and they're like, great, we're going to film it. Cool. And I just figure, you know, this isn't one of the, the casting rooms in Vancouver or anything. This is like, just go for it. So I like ripped my shirt off and I was like swearing at people. I was like grabbing stuff from his fridge. I was like, just doing anything I wanted to do. And he loved it. Yeah. They loved it. Cam's like, oh my God, I want to work with you. And unfortunately, you know, we didn't get to work on that, but we got to work on the, the short film. I was right. like supporting in his, in, in Cake Day with him. And so we got to work together anyway. And, and, then, and then the film didn't go through and Rob was like, oh man, but we want you like, as Fresno so bad and then luckily just a couple weeks later Rob somehow came up with enough to to make the film and so he like called me and we got it made so yeah. which was awesome so but yeah. that's why I love independent films is they always have like interesting stories attached to them yeah do you know what it is about you that will will bring on that response in somebody that's like I know a guy like have you been told what is like the the Steven Steven Roberts Role, or or at least perception of what it is that you can do, intense. Yeah, intense, and it's it's an interesting word because I think it gets overly used at times, and it's something I used to be sensitive with, but I understand it now. Um, I think I think it's you know it's not just um, intense. I think it's passion. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's truly like I don't do anything half measured. Yeah. You know, like even I love this new thing we're doing as we audition for things and we're taping now more than going in the room because yeah. you actually have time to do a bit of real work on the sides. You're not just like 12 hours preparation, walk into a room, see what you can do. Yeah. Uh, and I'm one of those people. I'm, I'm not a good auditioner. I'm not. And I've, I've even even with certain indie films and stuff, I've I've said no to because I don't believe I'm the best person for the job. Mm. Um, but just that ability to like work a little bit more on it really make something of a performance and then put that put that and I do think that I'm known for I will definitely do the best job that I can possibly do yeah. like any bit of my energy from the time that's like action to cut you will get everything you will get all of me yeah and uh, and that's the way I work that is because I get something out of that too it's a rush to work that way it's fun to work that way it's I don't you know, doing doing those roles that are like, do you want fries with this or whatever? I get it. It's just an essential part of surviving, yeah. you know, in this industry, you know, especially as actors are paid less and less now. Um, but I got into this because I watched people like Gary Oldman or like like Russell Crowe or like like very intent or Tom Hardy or like any like they just they go for it. They don't. It's not about 
Uh, it's a way of working. It's yeah. it's not about whether or not they're getting paid or anything. They just a hundred percent go for that objective. Yeah. And I I love that that kind of passion is is uh, is what I think I bring. And I think I'm respected for it. I think some people you know, are a little intimidated and other people are like, maybe they see something in me they don't necessarily like. And, yeah. and that's okay too. Like, that's absolutely okay. This, the great thing about the industry and what we do is like, there's room for plenty. There's yeah. room for everybody. So, yeah. What do you think the you that lives in your memoir would think of the life that you have built for yourself? Oh, badass. Like, just yeah. like, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting when you, um, I, I, like the first draft um, of the book was like, it was like this draft of, I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here. I had like my, um, you know, the, the file, like my file laid out, I was here. And then it was like, all of a sudden I found this voice that started to pour out onto the page. And it was just a kid that wanted to be loved, that was excited by everything, that loved punk rock, that loved the misfits, that loved like the Sex Pistols, that loved like any anything punk, anything where like, you know, if I woke up, this and like my shirt still had throw up on it from the night before it was fucking badass and uh this weird and that voice had like wanted to like you know that young teen male voice that like wants to like oh oh my god those are boobs or like oh my god they're you know what i mean like just <laughs> yeah. e e like wowed by life you know and and i think i think that that's i think he would just be like badass like that and that's something he says over and over and in, in like the first person narrative a couple times as a youngster so yeah. Um, and that's okay. That's yeah. Yeah. Now, if you could go back in time to, let's, let me choose the point in time. I think that acting class that you walked out of mm -hmm. before, but before you have your, your, your coaching session with Robin Williams, but if you can go back in time to that moment and give yourself some advice or some words words of wisdom, what would you say? Or would you not say anything at all? That's a really good question. I, th I think, I don't think I'd say anything. I, I think that, you know, sometimes following your instincts can get you in trouble. Mm. And I think sometimes they can give you exactly what you need in that moment. Uh, I think that sometimes like, even if you walk away from something and it's the wrong thing to do or whatever, m maybe that's just what your soul needed yeah. in the moment. And maybe, you know, being in that class, I, w I was genuinely frightened to connect fully with another human being. Yeah. You know, even making eye contact was next to impossible at that point. Yeah. And I think that walking away and for a week and then randomly meeting one of the best actors of all time who took like went out of his way to to push me into this career yeah um that was completely meant to be and i know that sounds the universe cliche, could but it, not get any more I, I know, clear that, than that is that. so like <laughs> if there's yeah and i remember actually like going back and and also like you know talking to the homeless guy because we stayed friends he struggled you know he's really struggled in his life and and he's like well if there could be any bigger sign <laughs> you know um and i just oh man yeah it was it was such a and i still don't fully know I don't know if he I don't know why he did it I don't know like I can't I've got busy days and stuff and I'm no near nowhere near Robin Williams um but like sometimes I'm, I'm like tired to talk to people and stuff you know yeah. sometimes I don't know if it's like the burnout from like working with the homeless for years until like recently retiring but 
Um, I'm a little burned out sometimes, and, and for him to just be who he was and to take this time out from his life and mm. to give that gift to me without anybody watching, his entourage wasn't even watching, that was, that was a very selfless act. Yeah. And, and that taught me to, you know, you know, to be there for others as well and just to, um, and just that investment is like, I go back, and there's been times, you know, in acting, I just wanted to quit. I've just, there was a time a couple of years ago, I was, I'm done, I'm done. I don't, I don't book a lot of these. I'm not like, you know, CW guy. I'm not, I don't know where I fit. You know, there's been lots of times I wanted to quit, but I go back to the time that I spent with him and his wording couldn't have been, you're meant for this, you're meant for this. Like, it wasn't, hey, good job, keep going. It wasn't, you know, it was the universe, I think, through him telling me the goods. Yeah. You know, and and now I feel like at a point where I'm kind of catapulting myself into, you know, getting out to L.A. and like, you know, getting management and going through all the bureaucracy and the paperwork and doing what I need to do to get where I want to go. But I got in this because I wanted to play certain characters. I have that ability 110 percent now. I, I not only have the uh, talent for it, but I have the technique for it that yeah. I've built. Right. Um, through all these indie projects, I'm not sure what they all look like, but. You know, it, it's not like they're like, okay, I'm done. Okay, you know what? Mic drop. I'm like, I'm yeah. good. Like, I'm good. <laughs> but like, not at all. It's but yeah. it was like I said again, like that training ground. This is where this was a great experience for me, yeah. just to like teach myself. You know, this is this shot. You can do this in this medium. You can't in this medium. You know, mm. so learning things like that and yeah. So it was. Anyways, I, I can't even remember what we were talking about now, but. It, it was the time travel, giving yourself some advice or not. Perfect. Question. Good question. Yeah. Thank you. I try to have at least one. Stephen Roberts, the fearless Stephen Roberts. Thank you for being here today. My pleasure. Where can our fans find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social media? Oh, uh, Stephen5435, because I wasn't creative enough to come up with a better name. And it's just. Oh, those stay. were numbers <laughs> that were randomly assigned <laughs> yeah, to you? Yeah, it's like Stephen5435. I that You're wasn't like, sure. my yeah yeah totally yeah. <laughs> so on October nineteenth, my birthday, you can watch River oh, Road birthday. at the oh, Cinematheque. Amazing! Oh, I'm sure you'll be there <laughs> and eat the best <laughs> popcorn in town. Yeah, the Cinematheque has the best popcorn Do they? in town. Okay. Oh yeah, okay. that is that's great. Okay, yeah. breaking cool. news: cool. October second in Victoria, October nineteenth in Vancouver, and it. more dates to come. Great. Well, thank you, Stephen. My pleasure. And thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, leave us a review if you are so inclined. They help us find even more listeners and we can keep these conversations going. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVRScreenscene. The YVR Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Furminger, and it's edited by Simon Furminger. Special thanks to Mariana Furminger for recording our Patreon ad, to Paul Furminger for technical support, and to Dane Not Furminger Devalet, poor, poor Not Furminger Dane, for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. 
These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com.